to the Lord with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we give you praise and thanks for all that we have been able to participate in this morning. Lord, we rejoice in the presence of your Holy Spirit. We pray, God, this morning as we open your word that you would reveal to us that you would work in our hearts as we live into this Christmas season we call Advent. Show us, Lord, where you're present. Show us, Lord, where we might need to change. As always, grant us your grace and your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, some of you today might be rejoicing. We're coming to the end of our Mark study, and others are like, oh, no. Yeah, I didn't get really a big response out of that. So, Who here, real quick, show of hands, is going to miss seeing Mike Sell's face on a video? Small groups, yeah. Don't worry, there's more coming. Okay? There's going to be more. More Hawaiian shirts. We've got to ask Mike someday, take an inventory, how many Hawaiian shirts he has. I just give that a little, uh, little plug there as we have uh, faithfully walked through the Gospel of Mark, and today we're going to bring everything home here in chapter 14, and I know we're going to be uh, or cutting it short as Mark goes all the way to 16, but as we enter into Christmas this next week, I think it's very timely, and it's all, all God's hand at work as we have uh, planned and spent time in sermon series, and it so happens today as we celebrate and think about and set our hearts upon love that this very scripture and this very sermon is called Adoration the love and worship of God. So for you confirmation students, adoration is the title of this message. Throughout this Advent season, we've come together each Sunday lighting a candle one by one. We began first with a purple candle and the candle of hope, a hope-filled promise of a Savior to come. Jesus, God's only Son who gave His life, that whoever shall believe in Him will not perish but have eternal life. That second candle marked peace, only offered through God sending us His Son, Jesus, a peace that surpasses all understanding and that no matter what we face in the circumstances of life, our sins that God offers through His Son, Jesus Christ, provides peace in the turmoil of the broken humanity we live in and for His righteousness. That third candle marked of joy, a foundational piece of the Christian faith, Christ born unto us, giving us hope that we shall be delivered from our sins and that through his sacrifice on the cross, we will have peace with God as our sins have been justly taken care of through Jesus. This hope and peace brings joy to someone's life and the joy and security of what Jesus has done vicariously for us and into the future for those yet to come. And still today we light this fourth candle as a symbol of love or adoration. As we light this candle, we acknowledge where we have been through Mark's gospel. And as we bring it to a close today, we set our hearts upon this love and this adoration. And I encourage us today to think about Jesus' life from the very beginning all the way from that little itty-bitty manger all the way to the crucifixion on the cross. The focus of God's love for us. The adoration for Jesus Christ, the Savior, the Messiah, born unto us. 
And so this morning, I want to invite you, if you brought your scripture with you, whether you have it on your phone or if you have a hard copy, to turn to Mark's Gospel, chapter 14, and we're going to be reading verses 1 through 9, and I'm reading from the uh, NIV translation. Beginning in verse 1. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Many of us have heard this story before. Jesus reclining in the the leper's house, gathered around with his disciples, And this woman comes and breaks an alabaster jar of ointment on his head. Now, I don't know about you, but in first glance, as we read this, we think it is very culturally strange. If I were to invite you over to my house and I broke something over your head, you would probably be thinking, what in the world are you doing? I'm never coming back here again. But we're going to unpack why this happened and what is taking place going forward. And keep in mind, thinking about what took place at the birth of Jesus Christ, the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, all the way here to Jesus before his crucifixion. To begin to understand why this happened, we need to have the knowledge of what's taking place in it. And we're told that in the beginning of chapter 14, the Passover and the festival of the unleavened bread are taking place. Now, the Passover itself took place on the 14th of Nisan, which is April 14th. So you have the Hebrew calendar, and the festival of the unleavened bread took place seven days following the Passover celebration. The Passover was kept like the Sabbath day. There was twofold purpose and process of celebrating it. First, it was celebrating and remembering what God had done to deliver the Israelites from the Egyptian slavery. As we read in Exodus 12, God sent plague after plague upon the land of Egypt, and that just sent the Pharaoh's heart to be harder and harder and harder. But it was in God's final act by sending the angel of death over the land to kill every firstborn son in every home. The Israelites were instructed to slay a lamb and to take the blood of the lamb with a hyssop brush and put the blood over their doorposts. And when the angel of death came to pass over each home, the home that had lamb's blood on it, on the doorpost, that death passed over the home. 
the Israelites were also to eat the lamb as roasted and then the unleavened bread before they left Egypt. The Passover by the blood of the lamb was the commencement of the deliverance for the Israelites from Egyptian slavery. So they carried that on year after year. They celebrated what God had done for them in the past. The second part of the Passover had an agricultural significance. It marked the ingathering of the barley harvest. As we read in Leviticus 23, verses 10 through 11, it is the sheaf or the shaft of the barley that was to be waved before the Lord And until that was done, none of the new crop could be sold in the market or bread made with new flour. Boy, they take things awfully serious. Now, with these two points in mind, it took a great amount of preparation for the Passover festival to happen. A month before the celebration took place, the synagogue would do what we would call a sermon series on the Israelites leaving Egypt. The schools would teach about its significance. Everybody in town was talking about this celebration coming up. Teaching about the Passover was not just the only focus, though. The roads would be repaired, bridges would be mended to prepare for all of the people who would travel to the Passover celebration. But interestingly, and particularly important, in this time and day, They didn't have a lot of tombs, and it was a a very convenient and often uh, saw practice where when somebody died, they would just bury them next to the road. And so they would go through and locate each of these tombs, and they would whitewash these tombs so all of those who are journeying to the Passover meal wouldn't touch one of these tombs and become unpeer to be able to partake in that Passover meal. So in preparation, these tombs are being whitewashed, roads are being made, the synagogues are teaching, everybody, it is is the full circle, it is a huge celebration. Everything is coming up to this point. And in this time, Passover would uh, allow and attract, and it was mandated, any Jew 15 miles around Jerusalem was mandated to attend, but more than that, There were Jewish folks from all around that would come because it was held that in uh, a Jewish person's life, they should or must attend a Passover celebration at least once. There was a census taken at a Passover in 65 AD. A high priest named Josephus took a census of the lambs that were killed that year. They killed 256,500 lambs in preparation for the Passover celebration. And the law was that for every lamb, there was a minimum of 10 people fed. Taking those numbers from 65 AD, that's a lot of people. 10 people per lamb. All of them coming to Jerusalem. 
This vast number of people made uh, present at this Passover celebration, obviously, as we read, heightens the synagogue leaders. They want to kill Jesus. They want to entrap him, but they don't want to do it during this time because they, they want to do it secretively in, in order that they, don't might, they wouldn't cause a riot. And then you have the Romans who are always patrolling, always aware that something might happen. And yet right here in the context of the Passover celebration and all the preparations, Jesus is in Bethany at Simon the leper's house where a woman came in with an alabaster jar, a very expensive perfume made of pure nard, broke it and poured it on Jesus. As we read again, while he was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper. We don't know anything about Simon the leper. It's just named here. It's very strange. But Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar, a very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke that jar and poured the perfume on his head. Now Jesus is gathering with others in the town of Bethany. Now this is where Lazarus, Mary, and Martha lived and were present at this gathering as well. This is Mary who broke the jar and placed it on Jesus. Remember the, the story of Martha and Mary and how they're uh, gathered with Jesus and, and Martha is just so worried and consumed about getting everything ready and, and Mary's sitting there listening. So there is a, a past moment that is taking place with these sisters. And yet here in this time, Jesus gathered with it, Lazarus, Martha, Mary, Simon the leper, and his disciples. This jar was broken. A jar worth a year's wages. Now we've got to stop there and ask ourselves for a moment, as Jen alluded to in the children's message, if the Lord wanted your year's wages, what would you do? Think about the value of this perfume. Let alone the Israelites, and especially the women, they would have little boxes on top of their heads that would have perfume, or they would put drips of perfume, and that everything, the perfume would run in with the sweat. It was an early form of hygiene. A year's worth wages in her hands. And she broke it. In her love and adoration for the Lord. But it's interesting as we read this, and as she does this, as Jesus giving us the details of what she has done, she's going forth out of an abundant heart of love for Jesus, and yet Jesus is telling her and everybody else, the true reason of what has taken place, an anointing and preparation. Now, we might find it strange that she would take this and pour it on Jesus' head. But as she did this, the disciples and those that were around became indignant. Why this waste? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages, money given to the poor, and they rebuked her. 
As we read verses 4 and 5, it's highlighted that the focus is on Judas Iscariot who betrayed Jesus. He's the treasurer of the group of disciples, and he's focused on money. And he's covering his intentions and his greed by saying this money could have been given to the poor. But Jesus steps in to reveal the truth of the matter. Leave her alone, Jesus said. Why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Jesus defends her actions in verse 6 by communicating the importance of what she's done. But it's in verse 7 that we need to watch and be mindful of in the interpretation. Jesus is not giving a command to not give to the poor. This isn't a place where we say, I need to give to Jesus and not to those in need. This was a unique act for a specific reason. This moment of anointing Jesus upon his anticipated death and burial. Culturally, then and still today, when a Jewish person dies, the body is cleaned, anointed, and often the anointing jar is broken and placed with the body. I remember working in hospice care as a Jewish person had passed away. The doctors and physicians, nobody could go in the room. It was the Jewish family that came in and prepared according to the Jewish law. To reiterate what is happening once more, I want to bring us into something else that took place just before this. Listen here to the Gospel of John chapter 12. Six days before the Passover. Now remember, Mark says two days. So John is recording six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom he had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table. And Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Now, what in the world... These Gospels don't line up. Hmm. Oh, that's it. We can go home. They contradict themselves. John's account here is in the same place, Bethany, but this time at Lazarus' house, where Mary takes a pint of pure nard and expensive perfume and pours it on Jesus' feet and wipes his feet with her hair. From John's account and Mark's account, boy, we can say, you know what, Mary, if you want to smell good in this day and age, you go to her. She's got it. But at first glance, we say, this doesn't make sense. John is saying six days and Mark's saying two days. Why? You remember all of those Passover preparations that take place beforehand? One of those preparations is for the lamb that would be sacrificed. The families would acquire their lamb that was supposed to be spotless and without blame. They would bring that lamb home six days before the Passover meal. The family would look over that lamb 
They would feel its legs. They'd go over its entire body to make sure it didn't have any scuffs, bruises, cuts, anything like that. And they would anoint the lamb's legs six days before the Passover. Two days before the Passover, the family would come back to the lamb to check it over. And at this point, they would anoint the lamb's head signifying this lamb is pure and without blemish. This lamb is good to go. Six days before the Passover, Jesus' feet are anointed. Two days before the Passover, his head is anointed. The Passover lamb is being prepared. Jesus is anointed on his head and his feet. It fulfills the Old Testament sacramental rites, and yet there's a focus for us to take away. It points to the love that Mary has for Jesus. At a room filled with Jesus' closest followers, she approaches Jesus with an abundant heart, with something very valuable, and she anoints Jesus. Think of the courage. Think of the things that might be going through her head. What what are they going to say and or think? Is this the right thing for me to do? And yet she does it. In this Advent season, we find ourselves with the same question. How do we approach Jesus? Are we caught up in the hustle and bustle of presents and family get-togethers and so much that we lose sight of who it is that we're celebrating? How are we preparing our hearts for the coming of our Savior? You know, just the other day I was in a conversation about how we're all pulled in so many different directions. And it's hard to get to church. It's hard to volunteer for church. Because that was the focus of our conversation, talking to someone saying, you know, we need help on Wednesday nights. We've got so many people here, and we have so many kids. It's so amazing, and yet we have a church full of adults on Sunday morning, and yet we can't offer one hour or two hours on a Wednesday night. And I was frustrated in this conversation and they were but I was trying to be empathetic and listening I was like oh but you're going here and here and here and here and and sports this day and this day and this day and yet an hour for the Lord for these kids one hour and I had this internal wrestling match and the Lord helped me bite my tongue Because I get it. I get that it's hard. I get that it's hard to come to the Lord with everything you have. And yet, I think it's more important that we come to the Lord with everything that we have rather than being spent and spread so thin everywhere else that we're just struggling to survive. I came across this Statistic shortly after this conversation I thought was provoking. Some of the, the, the year here is a little outdated, but I think you'll get the point. The average church time in America 
is it just about 90 minutes to two hours a week. That's a grand total of 4.3 days of attendance time in one year. The average American spent two hours a day watching Netflix in 2020. That's 600 hours or approximately 25 days a year. Puts things in perspective. Where are we spending our time? What are we doing? We might wonder as we look around and say this world is in chaos and everywhere we see people are struggling mentally, physically, spiritually. And just maybe perhaps we should ask ourselves what we're watching, what we're turning on, what we're tuning into, and how we're living the lives that we've been blessed to live. I'm sure that 2022 numbers are just as high, if not higher, for the average time a person spent watching TV. The focal point here is that we are not too busy for God. We just choose differently where we spend our time and our focus when we know we shouldn't. And yet I ask, what would the world look like if those figures were reversed? I will be so bold as to say this, that this is what we need to be doing in our lives. Changing our focus and when and where we worship. You and I together, just in the form and fashion of Mary setting her hearts upon the adoration and love of Jesus Christ for what Christ has done for us. Calling us to accept this free gift of his sacrifice and at the same time calling us to go and share that, to plant the seeds. He's going to do the rest. But for you and I to be willing, for you and I to be so bold, to have boundaries within our lives that say, you know what, God is going to be first. And there will be people in your life that say, why? Why would you do that? Don't you know what you're missing out on? Don't you know the money you could make? All of these different things. And boy, what that must have felt like for Mary as Jesus defended her and he told everybody present, I tell you that wherever this gospel of the good news goes, a remembrance of what she has done will too. Where, brothers and sisters, are our hearts this Christmas season? Do we have an adoration and love for the Lord? My prayer is that we would. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you are the final Passover lamb. Lord, you've taken our sin 
And I praise you, God, that you offer us your grace and love and mercy day after day. And yet I ask, God, that you would move through the power of your Holy Spirit in our hearts and minds to help us remove the sin that we might cling to or the battle that we might not find the strength to make it through. And that in all ways, in our lives, in all the ways, in our souls, we would honor you, that we would love you for what you have done, not just then, but continue to do today. In Jesus' name, amen.